Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even a single charge, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Brabus. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Brabus, or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests of the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Brabus and have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. And they all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, and they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they mocked him, they took off the robe 
and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said but he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabobakatha, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine and vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that very moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had recently cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there, 
opposite the tomb. This is the word of the Lord. Good. Well, before John comes to preach from that passage uh, to us, uh, we are going to sing. We're going to sing these words. I cannot tell why he whom angels worship should set his love upon the sons of men. We're getting into that time in Lent and that, that walk up to the Easter moment where we are in the thick of some dark moments, moments of real intensity. And as Christians, I think we need a yearly discipline to just keep going, to keep walking through those slowly. Not jump to the end, but keep walking as the Savior did. And that's what this song allows us to do. It allows us to get our mind into the love of the Lord Jesus that he must have felt for us at that moment when he made that decision to go to the cross for us. So let's stand and sing. Set his love upon us now or then, or why as shepherd he should seek the wanderers to bring them back, they know not how or when. But this I know that he was born of Mary when Bethlehem's manger was his only home, and that he lived at Nazareth and labored, and so the Savior, Savior of the world is come. I cannot tell how silently he suffered, and with his peace he graced this place of tears, nor how his heart upon the cross was broken. The cross of pain to three and thirty years. But this I know, he heals the brokenhearted and stays our sin and calms our lurking fear. And lifts the burdens from the heavy laden. For still the Savior, Savior of the world is he. I cannot tell how he will win the nation. 
How he will claim his earthly heritage. How satisfy the needs and aspirations of East and West, of sinner and of sage. But this I know, flesh shall see his glory, and he shall reap the harvest he has sown. And some glad day his sun shall shine in splendor, when he, the Savior, Savior of the world, is known. I cannot tell how all the lands shall worship when at his bidding every storm is still. Or who can say how great that jubilation when all our hearts with love for him are filled? But this I know the skies will sound with rapture. Ten thousand thousand human voices sing, and earth to heaven and heaven to earth will answer. At last, the Savior, Savior of the world, is King. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that your word would be our guide. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And we pray that your greater glory would be our supreme concern. For Jesus' sake. Amen. What do you see when you look at the cross? What do you see when you look at the cross? That is the the big question that Matthew is asking, that he's pressing home on us this morning as we read this account of Jesus' final moments. He's wanting to ask that question for us to each face it. What do we see as we look at the cross? What do I see? What do you see? See, several people in the passage, as as they looked at the cross, they saw it and they concluded that it was a A tragic waste. We've got Pilate, we've got the religious leaders, we've got even Jesus' own followers all looking at the cross and thinking, what a waste. Pilate, despite knowing, seeing very clearly Jesus' innocence, well, he lets him die to satisfy the crowds. And the religious leaders, well, they've pushed for Jesus' death. And as he, as he hangs there on the cross, they think, what a waste. He could have joined with one of us. He'd have had a much better career that way. 
even Jesus' own followers, as he goes to his final moments, as he breathes his last, they are looking there and despairing and thinking, we thought he was the man who would, who would save us, the one who would be the savior of his people, and now he's dead. What a waste. A tragic waste? Is that what you see as you look at the cross? Perhaps you, you're someone who, who can, can read about Jesus and you, you picture a great moral teacher whose life is tragically cut short. You, you can't seem to see why this, why this cross is the object of such worship and joy and praise for Christians throughout the world. How can it be that this cruel execution is the source of such joy and thanksgiving? Well, this morning we're going to see that what looks like a defeat through Matthew's eyes is a victory. Come with me as we journey through the cross and see what Matthew sees. Because if we get this, it's going to change our lives now. And it's going to change our eternities. Look with me at Matthew sees. What he sees is, first of all, a swap. The Jews, they hated their governor, Pilate. And so every year he would release to them a prisoner to satisfy the crowds. It's a, a first century way of scoring brownie points. And that's what he's doing as he, he, we pick up the narrative. Verse 16, look with me. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release for you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And then verse 20, the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Pilate puts up a little bit of resistance at first. He can see for himself, Jesus is clearly innocent, but the people get their own way. Pilate won't risk a riot. And so verse 26, then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. It's an outrageous swap. Jesus Barabbas, which means Jesus, son of an earthly father, son of the father. He's a a guilty, rebellious, violent man, and he goes free. And in his place, Jesus, son of the heavenly father, totally innocent, full of compassion, Jesus. Well, he's condemned to a brutal death. The innocent in place of the guilty. An outrageous swap. And that, that we're meant to feel the outrage of that. How can the religious leaders and, and Pilate and even the crowds call for, for the release of Barabbas and have Jesus executed? Jesus, the Messiah. But here's the thing. Matthew, what he's doing here is he's giving us a picture, a picture of what Jesus was doing at the cross. As we look at the cross, Matthew's wanting us to see that, that Jesus, the innocent one, was dying in place of the guilty. And who are the guilty? Well, verse 22. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Did you notice that as we we had the reading that what the crowds were doing, the same crowds who on that first Palm Sunday, they, they shouted out in praise, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And now what are they shouting? Crucify him. They all answered, crucify him. And if you put yourself in the scene, if you picture yourself there, 
I reckon that you and I would, we would hate the very thought that we would have been with those crowds calling out for Jesus' death. And yet if you are anything like me, then I think that's exactly where we would have been. I know that's hard to hear, but, but it is true. They all answered, crucify him. Tragic fact, brothers and sisters, it was our sin, our rejection of God that led Jesus to the cross. And all of us are guilty of that. And yet in this swap, Jesus, the Messiah, in place of Jesus Barabbas, the innocent in place of the guilty, we find the promise that a a swap is possible. A swap is possible for every single human being who calls out to Jesus and says, forgive me, come into my life, be my Lord. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? If you haven't, this Easter could be the time for you. It's a time to let Jesus take your place, the innocent in place of the guilty, in place of you and me. So we've got a swap, the innocent dying in place of the guilty. And next we've got a cup, a cup. Jesus, he's mocked by the soldiers. He's stripped and he's uh, put, given a scarlet robe, a crown of thorns is cruelly cr- uh, thrust onto his head. He's given a reed and they call out, verse 29, Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes. Then they led him away to crucify him. And as they prepare to nail him to the cross, he's offered this, this wine mixed with gall. It's a, a first century kind of sedative that they used to give to people just to dull even a little bit the pain of crucifixion. And he, Jesus, is already so beaten and exhausted by the mockery and the violence against him. They have to get Simon Cyrene to carry his cross. And yet, verse 34, when he tasted the wine, he would not drink it. Here's a chance for Jesus to ease his pain, even just a little bit. And he refuses, just as they prepare to drive nails through his hands and his feet and to lift him up on the cross. Why would he refuse? After all, you read carefully, and later on in the passage, he he does take a drink to to quench his thirst. But Jesus refuses because in this moment, he wants to have a completely clear head. A completely clear head as he, he perfectly fulfills the divine plan. As he, he goes to the cross, obedient to the very end. Just imagine what would have happened if, if Jesus had, had taken that drink in that moment. And then no longer with a clear head, but with a confused mind. He might not have prayed those words from the cross Luke 23, Father, forgive them. He's speaking of the soldiers. He's praying about them and he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. If he drunk from that cup, then in his confusion, he wouldn't have been able to utter those seven remarkable words from the cross, showing his heart of love for us in that moment. But Jesus doesn't give in to that temptation. He doesn't drink the cup so that he can, with a clear head, fulfill the divine plan to the very end. And because of that, we know that Jesus was obedient right to the very last, obedient to the plan that he and the Father had made from all eternity. Here is why that is unbelievably precious for you and for me if we've trusted in Jesus, if we put our trust in Jesus. 
It means that when, when God looks at us, sinners that we are, he looks at us and instead of choosing to see our sin, our disobedience, he chooses to see Jesus and his perfect obedience. He looks at us, sinners that we are, and he says that we're righteous, acceptable, obedient in his sight. That is what Jesus has done for us. That is what Jesus has made possible. You realize how precious that is in the day-to-day reality of life. If, if you're coming this morning and you are feeling weighed down with, with sin, with those failures that have come at time and, and again, the, the memory of them weighs us down. The burden of them is too great for us to bear. And that is how you're feeling this morning. Well, this is a truth to drink in again. As God looks at you, he's not looking at your imperfect attempts at obedience. God does call us to those, to to obedience, but but he's not looking at that. He's looking at his son and, and he's choosing to see us as if we were Jesus, perfectly righteous in his sight. And that then, that then springs us off into obedience because we're so full of joy and thanksgiving that he's already done it for us. We've got to swap the innocent dying in place of the guilty. We've got to cup Jesus' obedience in place of our disobedience. And third, we have darkness. Look with me at verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. It's noon, it's the brightest part of the day, and this very deep darkness descends. When I was uh, six years old, we lived in Shanghai as a family, and uh, and almost every day, the, the pollution was so bad that there, there was this thick smog. And you, you'd try and look more than a few paces ahead of you, but you couldn't. A thick, overwhelming kind of smog. And it's a bit like that here. This thick darkness descends. And if you'd been watching Jesus' crucifixion, now this deep darkness descends. And if you're more than a few meters away from it, you can barely see him. And darkness, Matthew knows, is a picture of divine judgment. And if you think that that kind of darkness descending in the middle of the day is unbelievable, incredible, well, let me ask you this. Could not the God of all the universe who made the whole universe create that kind of supernatural darkness? Could not the God who made the whole universe even raise his son from the dead? This Easter, that is a wonderful opportunity to ask those questions, to investigate those claims that the Bible makes. We'll talk more later in the service about about how you can engage with Easter services coming up. But Matthew sees this darkness and he remembers with his Old Testament eyes that this is a picture of judgment. Just before the first Passover, the, the time when God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, just before that, a deep darkness descended. We're told that total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three whole days. So darkness in Exodus throughout the Old Testament, it's a picture of God's judgment. And now Jesus is plunged into that kind of darkness for three whole hours. And as the time of his death draws near, he cries out, fulfilling this prophecy from a psalm hundreds of years before. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the very son of God from all eternity, he calls out to his heavenly father. Why have you forsaken me? Now, we're never going to get our heads fully around that. There's mystery here. But, 
But at some level, we've got to take Jesus' words at face value. He is forsaken by his father in this moment, in this plan that, that he and the father have made from all eternity. And he's forsaken for you and for me. So that you and I can go free. It's a bit like this. Imagine that this book represents our sin and the judgment that deserves. And this hand is you and me. And this is a holy God. And the two can't meet. Until someone comes along and makes a swap. And Jesus takes on himself the punishment that we deserve for our sin in those three hours on the cross so that we can go free. I realize this will be familiar news to many of us. And let's not let the familiar kind of wash over us this Easter. Maybe just to press it in from a different angle. If you are coming this morning and you are feeling like the circumstances of life are making it very hard for you to feel content. And let me encourage us that, that Jesus' death reminds us where true contentment is found, where true joy is found. In Jesus, in all of the spiritual blessings that his cross has secured for us, in the hope of heaven that he's made available to us. This Easter, why don't you drink that truth in again? True contentment is found in nowhere else than Jesus and his cross. We've got darkness We've got a cup, we've got a swap. And lastly, we've got a torn curtain. Verse 50, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tomb after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city. And appeared to many people. Jesus utters his final words. He breathes his final breath. There's an earthquake. You know those were common enough. They're common enough even today in Jerusalem and the area around. There's actually very good evidence from historians, geologists, that there was an earthquake at this time. So there's an earthquake. And maybe because of the earthquake, the curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. No one can do that on their own. This is God's doing. And here's the significance. The temple, it represented the way into God's presence. And so by tearing it just after Jesus died, what God is saying to to every single human being is this. Something like this. Jesus has faced the judgment that you deserve in your place. The way is now open for every single person, wherever you're from, whatever you've done, whoever you are, to come into my presence. So come, enter into the joy of an eternal relationship with me. That is what God is saying to us this morning. It's an invitation that is open really to everyone. That verse 54 tells us that the centurion and those who are with him, those who would crucify Jesus, even they look at the cross and say, surely this was the son of God. They take up this invitation that they can see as the curtain is torn open. And that is God's invitation to you and to me this morning. Calling to you, calling to me, saying, come, enter the joy of my eternal presence. For some of us, this is familiar. We need to drink it in afresh. For others of us, this will be very new. And can I, can I just urge us 
this Easter to take every opportunity to find out more about this. If you get this, it transforms your eternity. And so there's nothing more important you could do this Easter than investigate the claims of the Christian faith. There are loads of brilliant opportunities to do that uh, coming up. We, we've got Good Friday, good, Monday, Thursday coming up. This Thursday at eight o'clock, a service of communion at the Lord's Supper where we remember the first uh, Lord's Supper, uh, Jesus and his disciples. That would be quite a reflective service, a chance to fellowship together over bread and wine. Then Good Friday morning at 10 o'clock, there'll be a service for all ages. Uh, We're going to be meeting the time machine again that we had from Christmas services. If you remember that, we're jumping forward from from the time of Jesus' birth to the time of his death. And we're picking up the story there. There'll be a wonderful drama, a chance to reflect on what Jesus did and fellowship together, time to encourage one another over hot cross buns afterwards. So that would be a brilliant thing to invite friends to. All of our services would. Uh, that's, there's also a service at two o'clock on Good Friday, um, a chance maybe just to reflect, to meditate together uh, on the cross, using different voices, different ways of engaging with the cross and responding with our own voices. And then Easter Saturday, there's an evening service of praise and prayer and stillness, time just to gather together and to reflect on those moments between the cross and the resurrection and what they teach us. And then Easter Sunday itself, 10.30, 6 o'clock, celebrations of the Lord Jesus rising from the dead and rising to glory. Wonderful opportunities to come along, take the most of those opportunities to drink this in afresh, to discover for yourself the life-changing message of Jesus. Matthew's helped us to see a swap, a cup, darkness, and then a torn curtain, the way open into eternal relationship with God. So the music group are going to come up and we're going to sing of these realities. We're going to sing these words. And they, they could be a way for us to respond to what we've been hearing from God's word. Maybe if you're not sure this describes you yet, these words, then then they would be great just to listen to and think on the words. Or you you are one of Jesus' people, his followers. Well, these are words for us to rejoice in afresh. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.